Welcome to the Wheelhouse Podcast, where we talk about what's in my wheelhouse and maybe in yours too. I had a nice quick chat with my friend Andrew to discuss the week two lines and go over what we learned last week. We ran our quickest two-minute huddle yet. And uh, for the first time, I brought in my friend Jake Barnes. We uh, discussed some music topics together. We'd made a newsletter uh, earlier this year that uh, didn't quite work out, but we still have very similar conversations to the ones we had when creating the newsletter together. So I just thought it'd be fun to bring him on for the first time. Unfortunately, the audio cut out a little bit towards the end of our interview, so I apologize, but there wasn't very much missed. Really hope you enjoy these conversations and uh, enjoy. All right. Welcome back to the wheelhouse, Andrew. What did we learn last week? Actually, this has nothing to do with what happened uh, specifically in a game or a play or a player. Um, I learned that the move to Las Vegas was fantastic for the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I like, I, look, you know, when it, when it was going down and when they decided to go to Vegas, I, I was starting to become a little bit skeptical um, just because I didn't know how it was going to transition. I don't know how the fan base was going to be. I, I, as much as I make fun of people in Oakland, I respect their diehard loyalty to that team and the people who lived in Oakland were with that team thick and thin, no matter how terrible the team was at times or what, you know, them moving away the first time to Los Angeles and coming back. Um, the, the weirdness of the Davis family, whatever they stuck with that team through and through. So I was curious to see what would happen. Um, Monday night was a giant party and it was one that looked like it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, it was just completely electric the, from the first snap of the football from kickoff all the way to the end. It was insane. Um, I, I think from an economic standpoint, it's brilliant. And it just goes to show how that kind of branding goes a long way with people from other regions. And yeah, it, it just, it's, it's fantastic to see in a way. And I guess it sort of means I, it's going to be interesting to see how the Raiders continue to build on that brand. But I almost feel like they're trying to take over the West coast with what they're doing and it's in, and not, and maybe not on the field necessarily, but from a branding standpoint, I totally see it now. Oh, for sure. The only thing they have to learn how to do is, or what to do is uh, kind of quiet down with when cars on offense. That's the only thing. I <laughs> oh my God. Just, they were crazy. These trying yeah. to do it's like, they almost had to go to silent counts. Like guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was even waving his arms at one point for everyone to quiet down. So they're going to have to learn, but We'll give them a hall pass. They won anyway, and uh, they were just excited. So it was the first game with fans in Vegas. It was great. Yeah, totally. Um, I learned that it might be a little bit early, but the best football is being played out West right now. Both conferences out West are 1-0. and That includes both conferences. Um, each team won in either impressive or dominant fashion. Even in a team like the Broncos, they dominated the Giants and looked uh, in complete control. So uh, my big thing I'd be looking into and I'm going to think about is might we see might we see six AFC NFC West teams in the playoffs this year? Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, I think that was for the NFC West. Definitely. That was the question coming forward was are there there's probably going to be three teams coming straight out of the West from the NFC side, uh, San Francisco, Seattle and Los Angeles were probably the favorites, but now if Arizona starts playing well, then that throws a wrench in the plans too. But you would, I think the assumption was that that was the best division in football and the AFC West. I mean, while the chiefs have, have kind of reigned supreme in that, 
um, sector for a few years now. There was a question of, well, can the Chargers step up? Can the Raiders step up? Can the, the Broncos step up? And I think they were all sort of teams that were more on the periphery and the precipice. But the the point is, is that none of the teams in either division or I should say either conference were really told that they didn't have a chance outright. Like there was a potential for them to step up and be a playoff team. So, yeah, I, I absolutely could see it. I definitely can at least, uh, you know, four or five teams for sure. And to have all six, uh, to have six seeds out of the West would be, I don't know if that's ever <laughs> been done before. Like something like this, since we have seven seeds now, this is, yeah. this is almost feels unprecedented. And it definitely would be unprecedented. Probably extremely rare if it ever were to happen, if it ever happens. So definitely look forward to kind of tracking that as we go forward. We're going to run our own uh, no huddle offense this week, and we're going to do the week two games. And uh, they're all uh, we're all using the uh, lines from bet online AG. And uh, we've split it up into primetime games. Uh, we have one bridge to nowhere game and then the poo poo platter deluxe. So we're going to start with the primetime games. So you get the best of the best in the beginning here. And we'll start with 10 a.m. Raiders at Steelers. Steelers getting five and a half points, Andrew, over under 47. What do you got? Uh, I'm definitely feeling that under immediately, and that's mostly because of the Steelers huh. defense. Okay. I, yeah, I, just because the Steelers were so awesome last week against the Bills. Now, the Bills did move the football more than they did. They definitely outgained them yardage-wise, but they made the, the big plays when they needed to. T.J. Watt had a couple sacks. They got around, got a lot of pressure on Allen. Uh, there was no running game to, to speak of. Of course, the Bills are not really known for running the ball anyways, but uh, the Steelers defense did a pretty good job. Uh, the Raiders, I think it's not that I don't think they can score some points here and there. I just think that based on what I saw on Monday night versus the Ravens, I think they're OK with maybe relying on their pass rush a little bit more than they were in years past. And I think that's something to consider going into this game. So I, I feel the under on the on that respect. As far as the cover on the five and a half, I, I feel confident enough that the Raiders can cover that line. Um, I don't see them winning outright because I think it's really tough to play in Pittsburgh, uh, no matter what time of year they're there. And especially with, if their defense is completely healthy, which it is right now, uh, that's, that's pretty tough to ask for. I do think it's going to be a very interesting, a very close game, um, up maybe until the fourth quarter, but I do think it's going to be pretty interesting. Give me the Raiders to win out right in the over. Uh, Pittsburgh still had a lot of the same problems they had last year. Their, li their line allowed a lot of pressure against uh, the Bills, and the Bills is not known for having a great defense. They still couldn't rush the ball very effectively. They seem to have the same problems as they did last year. It's just that that defense, like you said, is really, really strong. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be the same game plan, but – I feel like it's going to come down to a very one dimensional game from Ben Roethlisberger having to pass the ball. Now the Raiders are still pretty weak in that area, but like you mentioned as well, our pass rush, I think we proved can be extremely effective to add to that. Our offensive line, like I said last week, much better than paid analysts care to research or even acknowledge. We did a very good job. Derek Hart was only pressured 26% of the time. The only thing I'm worried about is is jo uh, Josh Jacobs's turf toe. It's definitely a concern. Kenyon Drake did okay in his opportunities, but in order to beat Pittsburgh, I think we're going to need a mix of both because Buffalo they became very one-dimensional very quickly. That kind of 
I think brought them off base at the end of the game or towards the end of the game or second half of the game. But I definitely think the Raiders, if they can keep their shit together, which is asking a lot, <laughs> um, I, I think not only can they cover, I think they went out right. Maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction, but we saw a lot of improvement that we really hadn't acknowledged up until now. Um, my, my one thing is I almost feel like this is a game dictated by who turns the ball over more, um, which was the yeah. case, which was the case with the Raiders and the Ravens, uh, Raiders and Ravens game. Um, those two giant fumbles by Lamar killed them. And that was yeah. kind of the undoing of the Ravens. Um, I feel that same way here. I, I don't think the Steelers are going to let Derek Carr throw to Darren Waller 19 times. No, um, this time around, <laughs> I'm sure it's in their game plan. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they're set for that. It's going to be tough. I just I, I I feel like there may be one more mistake that sort of turns in the tide of this game. And I'd, I'd like to see the Raiders for one more week. If I mean, if they play a complete game because they didn't play a complete game on Monday at all, uh, especially Carr. But if they play a complete game, then, yeah, I think they have a def- definitely a good chance to win. That's why I still think that cover is a bit optimistic on the Steelers side. Five and a half seems a bit much. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, 10 a.m. Saints at Panthers. Saints getting three points over under 45 and a half. Sorry, just 45. I'm feeling pretty confident about the Saints covering here Um, just because I'm I think we've talked about this a little bit off the pod. I'm not sure about the Panthers defense um, as well. I kind of share those. I share those same uh, thoughts that you do about about that regard. Um, I, I wonder about the, uh, ability for, uh, Sam Donald to sort of stay upright in this game. I think he did a fine job against the jets, obviously. Um, I'm not sure if they're just going to continue to pound the rock like they did last week with Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think there's going to be a lot better scheming on the Saints side to make sure that doesn't happen. The Saints offensive line is definitely much better than the Jets. Like it could be the, the Jets might be, unfortunately might end up being a bottom five because of Mikai Becton's injury, but yeah. the Saints is a top five line. And that's even with their center being out this week. Um, and for an extended period of time, I still have a lot of trust in their line. So I, I feel, I feel confident that, that Jameis is going to continue to do maybe not throw five touchdowns, but continue to, right. to make smart decisions, be, be calm in the pocket, do his job against this Panther team. I, I definitely feel all right about the saints. Okay. You kind of, you got me convinced. It's definitely not one I would bet, but I'll go ahead and be with you there. I think the saints can cover. I like the over on this. And the reason why I like the over is, um, Lattimore is undergoing surgery. So he's going to be week to week. He got a chip bone in his thumb. Um, both cornerbacks, Brian Poole and Ken Crowley are on IR now. So their backfield is pretty weak. We kind of saw the same thing with the Raiders on Monday. The Ravens, uh, their depth really got hurt in the back end there, and uh, Carr was able to eventually take advantage of it. So it, that makes me a little bit nervous. But, yeah, I, I think we saw some really good things from Jameis. And like you said, I don't expect another five-touchdown performance, but he definitely showed me enough to, okay, you know, I have confidence in him. Like you said, the, that Panthers defense is very suspect still. They They beat the Jets. Um, there's not really anything to to build on right now other than, hey, you won. So, yeah, give me the Saints for now. Let's move on to the Cowboys at the Chargers. <laughs> Chargers getting three points over under 55 and a half, Andrew. I'm going to let you cook here. Go for it. So uh, I have the pleasure of announcing that I will be at this game in person. 
uh, I I went went ahead and ponied up and, and decided that I'm going to go to this game, the first home game for the Chargers in the new SoFi Stadium. So I'm going to be seeing this uh, action live, and I could not be more excited about it. I think this is an incredible matchup of offenses. I'm slamming that over. I think it's going to be a lot of points, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, receivers running around the field. Um, the thing that really impressed me, I was really taken away by that Chargers victory against uh, Washington. I think what Herbert did on third down was incredible. Uh, going 14 for 70, uh, for, uh, 14 for 18, excuse me, um, from third down was really, really impressive. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good about the offense going into this one. I don't see the Cowboys being a perceivable threat. And they're also very familiar with this scheme. It's Dan Quinn's cover three scheme, which Gus Bradley ran with the Chargers last year. So uh, Herbert has definitely seen this defense or this style of defense before. And I don't think the defense, I don't think the talent in uh, Dallas's defensive uh, set is really going to be able to make up for some of those deficiencies. So I'm, I'm feeling very good about the Chargers. I, it's going to be a barn burner. It's going to be going back and forth <laughs> the whole time. I really believe that. I think there's going to be some incredible fireworks from both Dak and, and Herbert, but I'm feeling very confident that this offense, which didn't perform exceedingly well at uh, in the red zone last week, is still going to be able to pull off uh, this time around. Yeah, total agreement. Um, I like the charges to cover and I like the over definitely uh, slamming the over on this. I'd be surprised if it didn't reach 60 at least mm -hmm. uh, total points. Like you said, Herbert was 74 percent on third down. Um, that's how you get paid in this league. So mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. the red zone stuff. You know, it's week one. I, I think they get it fixed. I thought Stanley uh, coached very well. He met my expectations and the hype. They've upgraded beyond Anthony Lynn for sure. So they, you know, it's one week, but so far so good. Looked really good, I thought. I expect any kind of errors to get rectified. The offensive line really impressed me. Um, Herbert had lots of time. He barely got touched up. They looked great immediately. I know we talked about um, Young versus Rashawn Slater. Rashawn Slater won. So <laughs> oh, straight up. Oh, he, he, he won outright their line won outright, which, uh, you know, we need to probably rethink Washington a little bit. I still think they have a very good defense, but I mean, they lost on the line outright. The Chargers were able to pull one out. So I give them a lot of credit. And um, the, my my big issue with with the Cowboys is they were not able to get really able to get to Brady last week. Oh, yeah. No, uh, so I don't expect them really to get to Herbert this week. No. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought up Slater. He was immaculate in this first game against Chase Young. And you know what? I overlooked something and my friend brought it up and I was still skeptical when he said it, but it made a lot of sense. If you So the, the Ohio State uh, has made some obviously some generational pass rushers in the last five years, the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. And my friend brought up a point to me, he said that because Slater goes against Joey Bosa in practice every day, he is very mm -hmm. aware of the tendencies that are taught to Ohio state defensive linemen, because they kind of goes through the same school of, of preparation and the, all the techniques and all the moves that they learn are kind of under the same umbrella. So he became very familiar with the sorts of things that they try to do. Now I thought just because chase young is such a hulking behemoth of a man that he would still be able to sort of find a way around that. But clearly Slater did his homework did his job and did a wonderful, uh, wonderful job against Chase Young the entire day. 
So I think that that is a testament to his preparation, his skill set, and the fact that this is the first game he's played in two years and he looked <laughs> like that. That that to me also just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. Uh, I think if you're an AFC West fan like you and I are, uh, there's a lot of good football ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. 125 p.m. Titans at Seahawks. Seahawks getting five points over under 54. Titans are in trouble, man. <laughs> the AFC yeah. South is in midseason form. Uh, they're clearly the weakest division in the conference. No defense whatsoever. Taylor Lewan was embarrassed. It was an awful performance. Both their lines are pretty weak, and uh, they're going to go 0-2 this weekend. Seahawks are going to cover this pretty easily. Give me the over, though. Seattle's just going to take care of business at home. Yeah, I, in a weird way, I almost feel like the under, but it would be like by one or two points. But I do see the cover, mm-hmm. the Seahawks being in control in this game because, unfortunately for the Titans, it seems it's the it's the same blues that a lot of teams face when they lose their offensive coordinator. You lose your flow and you lose your mojo. Kind of the same thing that happened with the Vikings losing Kevin Stefanski. Um, you know, Absolutely. you just you yeah. get that you get that guy who really knows and is uh, symbiotic with the offense or Kyle Shanahan with uh, the Atlanta Falcons. You know, it's like you get somebody who really understands their scheme and it seemed to have affected them last week. They could not run the ball with Derrick Henry. I think he had like, what, nine carries for 10 yards or something to that effect. He was completely shut down. And if yeah. he shut down, then there's no play action to work off. And then Tannehill's in trouble. And obviously Chandler Jones was a menace all week and just yeah, obliterated five sacks that completely killed Taylor Lewan, who at least had the, the, the balls to own up to it on Twitter. But still the point, the fact remains is their, their line is on both sides. The offense and defensive line are both weak. And that is not something you want to start with as a, as yeah. a foundation of your football team. So yeah, I think Seattle takes care of business at home. All right. Sunday night marquee five twenty PM. Chiefs at Ravens chiefs getting three and a half points over under 55 and a half. I think the Ravens are snake bitten men. The injuries really mounted up on them. And we brought that up last week as well. Humphrey ended up finishing the game, but he even, even he came out for a, a play from a cramp. Lamar is just not the kind of threat in the passing game right now that he needs to be when he gets loose. Obviously, of course he's a threat, but if you're keeping him in the pocket, and you're putting pressure on him. I think the Raiders prove that he can he can be had, um, which is what we predicted last week. And it's become completely dependent on him rushing now. Um, the deficiency and all the in, in the running back injuries really really showed in that Raider game. If he can't establish his run or if he can't get it going, they really stall. And that's what happened during that game. Even though they were up 14 zip, I believe it was at one point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really stalled and they could they couldn't get it going again, really. Uh, they only got it going because he's he's so dynamic. Right. You know, if he can't and he even had trouble really completing some basic passes last uh, Monday night. But go ahead and give me the Chiefs uh, to cover and give me the over. Yeah, I, I think Mahomes just has the Ravens number right now. And he has Lamar's specifically. Mm-hmm. They just they keep yeah. they, they they dominated on Monday Night Football last year. They dominated in the regular season matchup two years ago. They just seem to have their number, especially in September. That's the other thing. They keep matching him up in September. And it's like, OK, so you get to face Andy Reid, the wizard, the September wizards that that that's just a recipe for disaster. But um, yeah. to go in on the Ravens just a little bit, I, I, I have a feeling like, yes, they are stick bit, as you mentioned. The injuries are just awful. They lose losing all their running backs. 
they've they lost obviously the 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 decision to to move on from Orlando Brown, which makes sense from a financial standpoint. But Ronnie Stanley looked terrible on Monday night. He allowed eight pressures. He allowed 19 pressures in the last two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Max Crosby and Yannicka Ngakwe had their way the entire game until Ngakwe got hurt. But even Max Crosby was just a gamer the whole time. Uh, Villanueva, their right tackle, looked lost. That's not a good sign. I think the thing for Lamar, I I think he's evolved past Greg Roman's offense. And I I, I quite frankly was a little bit surprised Mm. that Roman was not moved on from last offseason, especially with all the talk about how stilted their offense had become. I I wonder if this is going to be the nail in the coffin because something has to change with this offensive scheme. I'm not saying they can't still be a running ball heavy predominant team, but if Lamar as a passer wants to evolve and evolve past you know what he is right now. Mind you, he's only 24 years old. He has room yeah. that he can improve and grow, but you know, he won't be, uh, he won't be a dynamic running threat forever because that just catches up to you. If he wants to avoid the same fate that Cam Newton avoided, then I think it would behoove the Ravens to think about other options, uh, from an offensive standpoint. I know it's very early in the season, but this, this has just been a really rough month for the Ravens <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah. I, I, it's going to be, it's not going to get any easier on Sunday night. No, if they can't fix that line or, or make some really meaningful adjustments, it could be a long season for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Bridge to nowhere game. 10 a.m. Bills at Dolphins. Bills getting three and a half over under 47 and a half. The Bills struggled in that second half with the Steelers defense um, and they're getting another tough matchup in Miami. You know, at first I thought perhaps the Bills would just kind of walk away with this one, but. This will be a grind in Miami, even though they really need to win this one. Going 0-2 would be obviously very problematic. And I'd stay away from this one. Give me the under. (laughs) I would not touch this one. I agree. I would not touch this one either. I see the Dolphins covering. I don't see them winning. I do think the Bills are desperate enough, as you mentioned, to try and get out of this victory. But playing in Miami in September is not fun. Um, (laughs) I I think for I mean, it's really interesting, though, they the the Dolphins getting these early season divisional matchups is really fascinating to me. Going to New England last week, playing the Bills the Mm -hmm. the second week, they're getting a lot. Yeah, they're starting to get all these divisional games out of the way, which is really interesting. Um, I think the defense will look very good. I think they'll they'll be on point. The Tua quandary still continues, and I'm not (laughs) sure if that's going to be solved this game either. I think it's going to be another jury is still out. Uh, sort of sort of yeah. um, results that we're going to have. So I don't think that's going to be solved either. I, I do. Th- I think it's going to be an under and I do, th- but I do think that the bills win uh, a one or two point game. This is, this is going to be, as you mentioned, it's going to be a slog. Yeah. In the Miami heat. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. I think bills by maybe a point. Okay. Let's run our two minute offense. Poo poo platter deluxe, man. Thursday night. So tomorrow night, or if you're listening to this tonight, 5.20 p.m. Giants at the Washington professional football team. Washington getting three and a half over under 40 and a half. I think Washington bounces back here after a game they could have actually had versus the Chargers if not for that Gibson fumble. I think Giants are on track to fire Gettleman this season. Daniel Jones, see ya. I got Washington cover and give me the under. Yeah, I, I agree too. I, I get the under. I'm curious if uh, what yard line that Daniel Jones is going to trip over uh, this time around, and uh, <laughs> he's going to have a nightmarish game. I'm um, looking forward to seeing Taylor Heineke, uh, another XFL yeah. alum, and seeing sure. how he does uh, tonight because that will dictate how Washington does going forward. Yeah, I am. That's the one thing that's a draw for me for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Sunday, 10 a.m. Bengals at Bears. Bears getting two and a half over under 45. Uh, this is definitely a stay away. Might be the ugliest game of the week. Um, only question I really have for you in regards to this game is, is I'll give you an over under six and a half for the number of snaps Justin Fields will have in this game. Uh, I'm going with over, and I think it's going to be completely swayed by the veracity of the the Chicago crowd, who will not want to see the red rifle for one more minute. Yeah, so I'm going. I'm going over on that one. Gotcha. Okay, Texans at Browns, 10 a.m. Browns getting 12 and a half over under 48 and a half. Sorry, just 48. What you got? Uh, the Browns do not cover. I think the Texans actually performed quite well given the circumstances last week. I think they, they will, uh, be able to keep it a seven or eight point game, but, uh, Browns definitely win at home. And, um, I'm going to go with the over. I think there will be a lot of points in this game. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I think Texans cover. They showed that they're a true professional football team, but, uh, it's just too many points. I think Browns win comfortably and yeah, I'll take the over here. 10 a.m. Rams at Colts Rams getting four points over under 48 and a half. Uh, for me, I'll see you after week four Colts, but I got Rams covering. Give me the over. Yeah, I think the Colts are still just trying to get some cohesion uh, on all fronts. I, I I'm over the moon for how Matthew Stafford looked last week, and I don't see that stopping. Even though I like this Colts defense, as you mentioned, I think they're still trying to get their chemistry together. Uh, I'd say Rams cover and um I'm going to go with the slight under. Okay. All right. All right. 10 a.m. Pats at Jets. Pats getting six points over under 42. Uh, I think Bill Belichick is just salivating in a film room somewhere. Every time he faces a rookie QB, he has a he has himself a day. Give me the Pats to cover and give me the under. My arms feel sore just thinking about how badly Wilson's <laughs> going to get beaten this game. I I feel so I feel so bad for that man. Uh, Hello, yeah, Pat. Oh God. Um, yeah, Pat's cover. Matt Jones. I uh, underrated performance last week. He looked very good. I think he's going to yeah. continue. I think he's going to continue playing well. Um, hopefully, Damian Harris is out of the doghouse for the sake of my fantasy team, and he doesn't fumble. <laughs> so go, I'm going with the under, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my only attraction too, just to check in on Mac Jones and just see uh, how he performs. Okay. 49ers at Eagles at 10 a.m. 49ers three and a half over under 50 and a half. What you got? Oh, God, uh, I, I'm going to have to go with the, the 49ers despite their best efforts and uh, going into the cover last week. I still think they're going to win this game. Um, we'll see about the Eagles. It'll be intriguing, but I, I think Kyle Shanahan's going to run circles around Nick Sirianni. So I, I feel confident in the in the 49ers winning this game. And I'm going to go with the under. Okay. Interesting. I like what I saw in week one from the Eagles, but I'll check in after week four. And we're we're going to have a little special thing for after week four. Uh, but yeah, give me the 49ers to cover and I'll take the over on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. 10 a.m. Broncos at Jags. Broncos getting six points over under 45 and a half. Uh, go ahead and give me the Broncos to cover and give me the over. Uh, I'll give you a, the game's coached for urban Meyer eight and a half. Oh man. That's that. I, I wanted, I wanted to say Halloween. I can't bring myself to do it. I'll say Thanksgiving. So give me, give me the over. Jeez. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not a good one. All right. Vikings at Cardinals. Cardinals getting four points over under 51. 
Uh, Vikings, I watched the entire game. Uh, my family are Viking fans. They look pathetic. Uh, my mom quit by the third quarter. I mean, they, I mean, the Bengals really tried. They really tried to give it to them. Give me the cards and uh, give me the over on this. Kirk Cousin is like the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame junk time QB. So I expect to, to get that over. I, I would slam that over as well, even though he's going to be seeing Chandler Jones in his sleep. Uh, I still feel confident in saying that. So, yeah, Cardinals come home, play very well in front of their home crowd at Arizona. All right. 105 p.m. Falcons at Bucks. Bucks getting 12 and a half over under 52. What you got? Man, I wanted to like this game, and then the Falcons just did, just completely jumped off a cliff last week. So um, I think they cover. I, I think they figure a couple things out on offense, but the, I, I'm so I, I'm I'm not looking forward to Matt Ryan getting chased around because I think his offensive line. I think there's real problems on offensive line for Atlanta. He's going to be hassled all game long. Yeah. Um, in a weird in a weird way, I could almost see it going over just because the Bucks score so many points in this game, and maybe the Falcons get a nasty uh, late fourth quarter touchdown to make it go over. Yeah, I, I agree. At that line, it's just really, really high. I think the Falcons find a way to backdoor cover. Uh, Bucks definitely win. I think the Bucks are in control most of this game. I think it's just going to be a lot of junk points. So uh, give me the over on this. I think our listeners are going to find we really care about line play on both sides of the ball, and the Falcons are pretty putrid on both sides of the ball right now. So, mm-hmm. Bucks on the other hand, top five probably for both both lines. Both yeah, very abs- good, absolutely, um, and, that's, and that's a big part of their success. All right, last game Monday night, five fifteen p.m. Lines at Packers. Packers getting eleven points over under forty eight. What you got? I am definitely going to be watching the Manning cast for this because I do not want to hear one more thing about Aaron Rodgers and his, <laughs> and his hippie go back, uh, slick back hairstyle and his sandals. So uh, with that being said, um, God, that's a huge line. I can't see the Packers covering that. I know I, I don't like the Lions at all, but 11 is a lot. Um, I, I think in a weird way the Lions cover because for some reason they played they played them close the last couple of years for no good reason. Uh, I'm probably going to go with the under cause I still think the Packers are figuring some things out on offense. So I'm going to hit the under and say that lions cover, but definitely don't win. Okay. Yep. I'm with you. Give me the over though, just for fun. But, uh, yeah, I, I got the lions covering with Packers still winning uh, comfortably. All right, man. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Definitely. All right. I'm here with my friend, Jake Barnes. We've uh, known each other for a long time, man. Um, we met in high school in a journalism class, so it's kind of funny we're doing this. We even worked on a newsletter uh, earlier this year. What's up, man? How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, you know, same old here. Happy to be back in California and uh, around everybody again, and it's good to be back. Yeah, man. It's been really fun um, hanging out again and and uh, probably going to get to that in actually in a second because um, <laughs> there was something I listened to over the weekend when you were hanging out at the crib. And uh, it was uh, it definitely I've been listening to it a couple times since then. We're going to preview a couple of releases coming out this Friday, the 17th. Just some releases we're looking forward to. There's quite a few of quite a few releases that are really good. Um, I'll kind of start us off. So I'm really looking forward to Always in Motion by Mini Trees. 
Uh, this is an artist signed by Run for Cover Records, who they have a lot of great artists in the uh, kind of like alt scene, indie scene. Uh, they signed them earlier this year in April. They're currently on tour with Jillian Baker, which kind of fits. They're very similar, not as depressing, uh, especially musically. And then later this year, they're planning on touring with Tasha. I kind of found out about them through the song called Moments in Between, which really caught my ear. Uh, vocally, I really like how the singer uh, Lexi Vega stays in kind of like her pocket. She really serves the song really well. Uh, it matches the music. She never really tries to overextend it just serves the music really well um i like that the track stayed under three minutes which is in my wheelhouse ha 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 um i love the quiet opening too into this really blooming happy energetic style after about a minute uh, the lyrics talk about doubt wanting for more of, or wanting uh for what you're dreaming of mini tree really fit in the same wheelhouse as julian baker Phoebe Bridgers music that reminds me a bit of Oso Oso as well, where music sounds one way, but the lyrics are like the complete opposite. Uh, but I'm really excited about this debut and I feel like it'll grow her audience, especially on the tour that she's on now. She has a couple of other EPs, but other than that, this is her debut and I'm really excited for it. It's, I mean, it sounds interesting. I've never heard of many trees in particular until you had mentioned them to me. Uh, recently, but um, it, all these names that are attached to it, if, if Julian Baker or uh, Run for Cover are, are willing to attach their name, then, you know, it's going to be at least worth a listen, at least worth that first checkout. Um, Run for Cover has definitely proven themselves as a uh, as a tastemaker in the indie music scene. So yeah, I'll definitely be checking that one out. I was looking and I noticed that West Side Gun so West Side Gun has been doing a series called Hitler Wears Hermes, which if you've never heard of this series before, it's kind of a play on The Devil Wears Prada. If you ask me, uh, it's more corny than funny, and it, it, it just is kind of you know a grating title, but the music is always so good. And um, he's finally retiring the series with Hitler Wears Hermes 8, uh, Sincerely Adolf, Side B. So he's already released the first half of this album. Uh -huh. um, the second half got delayed a week. In fact, it's either coming out the 17th or the 24th. Either way, it's worth a mention because West Side Gun, um, who, it's his album. He's part of the Griselda group with uh, Conway the Machine, Benny the Butcher, and a whole bunch of great rappers right now. And and they get those those super easy. They're from Buffalo, New York. So they get those super easy comparisons to like Wu-Tang Clan. And they have those gritty, boom bappy sounds and voices. And it, it's just great, like, you know real rap rap hip-hop without like over lyricist over lyrical nonsense and all that kind of stuff it's just going to be a great listen um i was listening to the first half earlier today a lot of great features from other members of the group um and just like other you know people like people like to be upset and act like the genre is dead and uh you only have these little somethings and these these sing rappers and all that kind of stuff and really just depends where you look because these guys, everyone on this album just puts out great rap for rap fans. How many are the, are in the series? Is it eight or what was the number? I'll be honest with you. I'm pulling it up right now because I believe the first one was an EP and then there's been, so he's got a couple of series going. I think technically this will be the ninth um, or eighth. If you count them as 
a separated single release, but I think mm-hmm. there's only eight technically. But he's also got Fly God is an awesome God series. There's a few of those. He's there's he's just kind of all over the place. He's even had an album called Hitler's Dead, which was supposed to be the end of the series the first time, I believe. So who knows? We could get we could get more. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's probably a good time to get caught up if it's ending or we only have a few more releases left. It is. And the nice thing is, um, like, you don't really need to listen to him in succession. Uh, it's not the deepest rap in the world. So if you just, you know, if you happen to see like a feature you like on one or something like that, then I suggest just throwing that one on. I don't know that any of them really truly stand out against the rest. I don't know them super intimately as well, but I, I feel like it's kind of the nice thing about any of the Griselda guys, at least the core three is you can throw on any of their albums and you're going to get a good idea of what's going on. Uh, they'll go over different production, work with different people, different features, but they're they're pretty solid as far as what they do. Yeah, that whole universe of of their releases and their artists is it's pretty strong. Like <laughs> I kind of feel like they almost they kind of just run on their own. They don't really need like they just keep adding fans. It feels like, but they don't really need anybody. Like they just have this core group of people that keeps growing. That's really supporting them. So. I always try to take a dip into like whatever I I do see come out from them, but they put out a lot of shit, man. Oh yeah, it never ends. It, I I I found out about them in 2019 with their um their group album, the only group album that they've done. The uh, what would Sheen Gun do? Um, where they played actually on Jimmy Fallon, and in I've had two years. I've probably heard. 10 15 percent of of the music they put out, even in that time, just because there's always something and. There's there's a lot more people to Griselda than those three guys, but even just keeping up with Conway, yeah. Benny, and uh, West Side is is a lot. But it's it's worth it every time you put it on. Like you know, like you said, it's worth at least just throw it on for 20 minutes if you if you just have 20 minutes because it's good rap. It's just good rap. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome that they provide a lot of a lot of content for people to check out. My next one here, I've been circling this debut album for a long, long time. It's uh, Eternal Blue by Spirit Box. Um, and I really got hooked on them last year during uh, during the pandemic, kind of lockdown time. This is definitely one of the most exciting, heavy, like metal type albums in a while that I can remember, a debut album in that genre. Um, at least if you're 30 or younger. <laughs> their singer, Courtney LaPlante, and their guitarist, um, Mike Stringer, they were both in I Wrestle a Bear once back in 2016, kind of towards the end of that band oh, wow. when a lot of the yeah, a lot of the original artists were out of or were out of I Wrestle a Bear once. But Spirit Box sounds nothing like that. It's far more um, pop driven and and a totally different approach than I Wrestle a Bear once. Their song Holy Roller really uh, caught me by surprise last year and a lot of people by surprise. The plant really proves that she can sing and and scream really, really well at a high level. Uh, a lot of the times what happens with these vocalists, male or female, is they can sing really well, but they can't scream very well. Or they can scream very well, but they can't sing very well. It's like one or the other. It's very rare that they are like proficient at both. But she really proved that on that song. So it kind of made me go back and look at their other stuff. They uh, made an EP in 2017 after they... Uh, uh, after I Wrestled a Bear once ended, which really impressed me. It's very ethereal music, um, not as like heavy as Holy Roller, um, much more atmospheric. Then this year they put out Circle With Me, which is a kind of like a 
at least in the metal world, kind of like a smash hit. It's gigantic as far as like being very poppy, heavy. Um, it's like meshing pop metal, but with elements of gent and metalcore. LaPlante really cooks on her um, vocal track. Shows really great range, really extreme guttural vocals um, that are really, really hard. Like even some of those gutturals, um, I used to be a metal singer and I couldn't do some of the stuff that she was doing. I couldn't go as low or as extreme or switch back and forth like that. It's really difficult. And then musically, it's very catchy, really groovy and just really simple hooks and stuff like that. So I, I really have had huge expectations for this. Um, and I think a lot of other people have the same expectations, even in the industry. They got to open for Limp Biscuit recently on a couple of shows. So I don't really expect to ever see them in a small venue. It'll probably be bigger venues. So this record, I'm really I've been circling for a while. This I don't know if you mentioned it or not. I didn't realize that Courtney and Mike from I Wrestled a Bear once and from Spearbox were married. That's kind of. Uh, yeah, I think they're married. You rarely see that work out. Um, and if you had told me back in the Warped Tour days that the, that the singer and the guitarist were married, out of, I would have been like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Every female in a band has to be married to somebody else in the band because that, you know, or, you know, whatever nonsense. But no, nah, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. This sounds interesting. I have heard you mention Spirit Box a few times. Um, you know, this is this is something, to use your phrase, I like to dip my toe in every once in a while. I'm not. The, the heaviest metalcore gent fan, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I enjoy it, and I'll, I'll always hit a, a show. But this does sound pretty interesting. So I, I did like that era of I wrestled a bear once, and I feel like even if it's not stylistically the same kind of thing, it'll still have that kind of that feeling, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this, especially now that I have that information. Um, I can't believe Rise is still such a force. Yeah, they they really are. Um, but I feel like this band is not going to be on Rise very long. Um, it wasn't very publicly reported, but they signed with Rock Nation, like uh, their agency for promotion earlier okay. this year. So they're definitely tar- like I feel like they can target like a higher level of of visibility. And mm-hmm. if someone like Rock Nation is willing to partner with them, then yeah, like they're one of the few kind of like heavier acts with Rock Nation. Um, it does look like they'll be on tour with Under Oath in February too. That's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah, um, I, I saw that too. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but um, yeah, Under Oath have a they have a big album coming out too later this year. Um, Didn't Under Oath go away? They did for a couple of years, and then uh, last year. I think it was last year or the year before that they put out a, an album They actually brought back the original hmm. drummer and singer. Um, I forget his name right now, but he was the one that quit and their, their, their whole style changed and their popularity kind of waned a little bit, but hmm. everyone's kind of back in the fold. The last album I think did pretty well. I was not a big fan of it. However, these new singles that came out for the new under earth album sound really good. Much better than the last effort. So, and I think it actually comes out either it's later this year towards the end or early next year. If it's early next year, I wouldn't be surprised if it does very well, you know, nice successful tour for them, which would be good for a band like Spirit Box to be on, get more mm-hmm. exposure, play with bigger bands and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a release I'm I'm thinking about later too. Yeah, that definitely sounds like an interesting one. So the other album I was thinking about was Big Boy and Sleepy Brown have an album coming out 
um, Friday called The Big Sleepover. And honestly, I just found out about the album, so I don't know a whole lot about the lead up. I know Sleepy Brown's part of, he's either part of or he's a peripheral person to Dungeon Family, and he's been around Big Boy for a long time, you know, back in the Outcast days and in Georgia and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the truth is, if Big Boy's putting an album out, it's worth listening to. <laughs> he only does one every couple of years. I think the last major album was 2017. Yeah, Boomiverse was in 2017. And so um, uh, people tend to focus on Andre. Rightfully so. He's an incredible artist. Um, you know, rare voice in the history of existence. But it kind of overshadows the fact that Big Boy can outwrap everybody else. Like, Big Boy is... Big Boy keeps up with Andre, in my opinion, like across the board um, on their releases and, and all that kind of stuff. And so people tend to forget, though, that he's just such a great rapper and makes such fun music. And especially since he's been doing more leaning more into like his own sort of colorful, cartoony kind of stylish beats and big, bright, you know, sounds and all that kind of stuff. Um, worked with Fantagram. He's done a lot of interesting stuff since the end of Outcast, and I think this album is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a good time. He and Sleepy Brown have done tons of work together. If I'm not mistaken, I could be incorrect on that, but I feel like they've done a ton of work together. Either way, it's just going to be a good, fun, zany, yeah, an interesting ride. You know, kind of like with um, Snoop did that album, I think with Pharrell. I'm blanking on what it was called, but it was big and corny and goofy and fun and it got kind of skipped over in the public eye but it was it's a great it's a, i think it's called bush uh it's a fun album to listen to i think this one's gonna be a fun one too big boy never yeah. disappoints yeah no that that was bush yeah and that was actually kind of a fun one um it kind of in the middle of a snoop dog run that kind of feels a little bit irrelevant even though I, he's still insanely <laughs> popular obviously like he has a loyal fan base and he still does a lot of commercials, but his music's been pretty the last time his album has charted ever. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been a while. He's made a lot of drool stuff, but that actually was kind of like a fun moment in that kind of like a little spike in that run. I honestly didn't even know that big boy was putting something out. So I'm definitely going to be looking for that. Yeah. Like you said, they, he hasn't put anything out in a long, long time. It feels like five years. I feel like when those guys do something, it's always a huge surprise. <laughs> when it comes out or there's an announcement oh, yeah. that big boy or Andre is doing something. But every time I see it, I, I always get a little excited. Oh, I love it. I love reading either of their names every single time. It's just like, you know, it's almost like um, a gift just because they they've given it, they gave us so much in there. What well, wasn't really that long of a run, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know that they were a duo for a full decade, but they gave us so much in that run. That was so fantastic that now when one of them pops up and just because he does it less, maybe a little more with Andre, but, um, you know, when either of them pops up, it feels like a gift. It just feels like you, you guys want some extra on top of the incredible stuff we've already given you. Here you go. And big boy keeps delivering, like, especially because killer Mike's had such a resurgence. Like people forget that his whole upbringing is, is also dungeon family and an outcast. And he has that Grammy in like 2003 or something because of being with, outcast and now that killer mike's like on this i guess it's kind of slowed down a little bit but he was on this insane wave for four or five years um yeah big boy just kind of hopped on hopped in and hopped out when he wanted to it was kind of cool to see like uh a little bit of an og there and then 
Same with, uh, I want to say Big Boy and Andre talking about Young Thug and just their hands in the, I, I feel like they have deeper hands in the Atlanta scene than anyone just like says. And I think that's cooler than if we heard yeah. that they were around all the time. Yeah, so no, I've, I've seen that that's too. <laughs> no, totally. I've seen that too. Like I'm, if I, I'll look through an album on Wikipedia and I'd like to see like who produced what or like, you know, recording credits, right? You always will see like Andre 3000 just snuck in there to a bunch of songs, but you never hear any buzz about it. So, yeah, you're totally right. Like those guys have a complete hand stuff, but just very, you know, under the hood kind of a way. There's a there's a great video. I'm sure you've seen it, but just in case anyone listening hasn't seen it, there's a great video of Andre 3000 just kind of floating around with a flute. <laughs> He's just like. <laughs> He's just playing a flute and someone just walks up and is like, that's Andre 3000. He just is playing a flute out like by a gas station. You, you, if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like, oh, I wonder why that guy's sitting outside a gas station playing the flute. But once you know it's Andre 3000, then the video just kind of like feels whimsical and fun. <laughs> like it's just like, oh, yeah. it's Andre. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, but no, they're, they're, they're legends and they've literally had the legendary career that everybody dreams of. And then they're, now have big boy especially having the second wave of just like yeah all right i'm gonna you know like shaquille o'neal basically i kind of see them the same way but it, if shaq was still playing basketball in a different league or something like oh you you knew me as a goat well here i am also chilling as a goat it's kind of like being on espn now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i see what you're saying i see what you're saying all right uh, next thing we're going to try here is uh, for this newsletter Jake and I worked on earlier this year. We did like a segment on there called Cold Brew and Cold Brews and Fine Wine. Basically, a Cold Brew is like a, a new album you've been listening to and you gotten some enjoyment out of. And a Fine Wine is kind of like one of those typical things where it's an old album. Maybe you discovered it for the first time recently and you're really into it or it just might be an old one that you just love and you come back to. So let's kind of start us off here with both a cold brew and a fine wine. Um, so for a cold brew, I came across this really great band called Common Sage. Their album's called It Lives and It Breathes. Um, found them via Washed Up Emo, which is a really popular um, kind of like a... I love Washed Up Emo. If you're not following <laughs> it, listeners, if you're not following Washed Up Emo on IG, just hop over there. It, it, it's, yeah. it's always worth it. Yeah, and they do a really great job of not only sharing new bands like Common Sage, but also like bringing up old ones that been lost to time and but thankfully kind of get a new life on the Internet um, because people can find them for the first time and, and get, you know, get access to some music that's gone away for a long time. but was really nice at the time. Um, yeah, but these guys really remind me a lot of brand new um, in that Devil and God era. They remind me a lot of Thursday in the uh, City by the Light Divided era. Uh, so there's like a very – there's a, an alternative rock thing, emo thing going on with some like post stuff. Um, they're still relatively a very young band, and this was their first full length. But, man, really a big step up from this band. And I think getting that visibility from Washed Up Emo really helped. But, man, um, these guys are really, really great. I definitely recommend checking them out. All their stuff's available on streaming services, at least as of this moment. I don't think they even have vinyl for this yet. But if you're into collecting that, you probably are going to want to bookmark this or or make sure you you watch them because that shit will sell out. They put out um, like a seven inch of one of their songs. It sold out like same day. So 
people are definitely aware of them now. Um, so I definitely would get in now if you can. And then for my fine wine, you were there for this, Jake. So uh, I host this little thing called Vinyl Night or Vinyl Session at my place. Usually do it on the weekends. And our uh, mutual friend Brandon brought over a record called Work EP by Elephant Jim. So if you haven't heard of Elephant Jim, they are like bands like Toe, Covet, Clever Girl, even Pen Pal or Totoro. So like this kind of like mathy instrumental type music. Um, you know it when you hear it. Uh, but I'd never heard of them. And they're from uh, Taiwan. They were just really excellent. And I uh, completely dropped into them this week. Uh, that EP came out around 2014, 2016, but they have an audio tree session from just a couple of years ago. I definitely recommend dropping in on them now. And they just put out a single earlier this year. So hopefully new album from uh, Elephant Jim soon. You had showed me the Common Sage thing. You sent it to me and you just said, who does this sound like? Um, and in the best possible way, like it's going to sound like it's not a good thing, but it is a good thing. Within maybe five seconds, my brain was just like. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> I know exactly what this sounds like. It's it, it gave me those devil and God vibes within seconds. And and it, it but without sounding like a, a you know, carbon copy. I would I definitely highly suggest the common sage one. And that the elephant gym was a lot of fun to listen to that that day too. I definitely enjoyed that elephant gym. My my cold brew is gonna be Isaiah Rashad's The House is Burning. Uh it came out in July. So it's been I think our rule for the <laughs> for the um newsletter was like a month it's been about a month and a half but uh yeah i i can't stop revisiting this album and uh, i don't know what it is in the last maybe uh, i think it's really just been pandemic and being inside and not being able to like really go yeah. meet with people and discuss albums and yo do you hear this and let's play this and talking to strangers i really haven't heard too much music that has gotten me so excited i have to come back to it and um and that's including, you know, I'm a big Kanye fan. I don't think I've revisited a Kanye album like this. Um, I like Drake, and I mean, you, Sebastian, know how I feel about it, but like that album just doesn't hold. Like, there's so many people who have been releasing really high tier albums, and nothing has brought me back like this Isaiah Rashad over and yeah. over and over. And I wasn't even one of these, like, when's Isaiah going to drop? It's been so long. Oh my gosh, the yeah. Sylvia demo, any of that. I was I've never been that guy, but this album is just phenomenal front to back. Not a wasted moment. Even features I usually wouldn't really care for, mostly like the, the Duke Deuce one. I like I I didn't know who Duke Deuce was, so I heard this song. I didn't like the feature when I heard it the first time. Now I can't stop singing it. Same with hmm. Lil Uzi Vert. And and then you know there's always like the classics like SZA, Black, J Rock, tons of great features. But really, Isaiah Rashad has just has a very interesting collection of sounds. Like it feels like he's really honed it in. It feels like a TDE album without feeling like leftover yeah. Kendrick Lamar music, which has happened before. I feel sometimes some of these guys put something on, and you're like, that was definitely made for Kendrick, and then he didn't yeah. want it anymore. Nothing feels like that. It feels very, very personal. It's 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 probably going to be a top five album of the year. Definitely a top five rap album of the year. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I finally get the Isaiah Rashad hype. Like it, it, it clears in my head. <laughs> so I know that you're like, I don't know what keeps me coming back to it, which I totally get that. Like there's just some stuff that just keeps you like, I don't know why I'm coming back to this, but here I am. Mm -hmm. But like, tell me 
what it is that you like about it. Like what are some things that you just enjoy in general? And, and maybe we can kind of get to the root of like why you keep coming back because that's a really interesting choice. I think the truth is, I think that it, it, so it, it's kind of a cliche to say this album feels personal because that's usually the point, especially with these types of like with real rappers, not like pop rap or whatever, but with a lot of artists that's the thing they're like i want to tell my story i want to tell you where i've been who i am what what i've been doing blah 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 and i and so it's real easy to just write about yourself a lot of rap songs a lot of verses start with i'm something something me this and that this album feels incredibly personal in the sense that it just feels like you're hanging out with him and he's telling you things that are going on he's he's very it's very colloquial and very straightforward it's fun it's very like it's very personality driven. The lyrics aren't like, you're not going to be like, well, these bars changed my life. You know, it's not, he's not incredibly technically talented. I think it's just that it yeah. feels, it's kind of like, hmm, I'm trying to think of a good, so a good example would be like my, um, my fine wine, actually, and we'll circle back, but my fine wine is going to be J rocks redemption for pretty much mm. the exact same reasons. I feel like uh, the house is burning belongs on the same shelf in the catalog as redemption before it would um either of any of their other albums or like a schoolboy q album or a kendrick album like these are these kind of like moment in time encapsulated i don't know they're they're very like just visceral put you in the in in the mindset the lyrics aren't you know super detailed and, and and all that kind of stuff but uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I really just think that mm. it's, it feels like it was made for you to hear. It's I'm talking to you. This is what, this is what is happening. Not mm. music that goes out into the world and plays and everyone hears it, but like, here, let me, it's kind of, if the songs feel like different moods in different, um, different locations and settings at like different places, but every song almost gives you kind of the feeling of like, I'm going to sit down with you. I'm going to tell you about something. Or yeah. I'm going to tell you this story real quick. Or, bro, I got to tell you about this girl at this party last night. Whatever it is, it feels like the artist is telling you. And there's a couple songs that break that rule. Like lay, like the Duke Deuce featured song, Lay Witcha, is kind of just like a fun, like, hit kind of song. Same with, like, songs like Troopers or Win or uh, King's Dead off of J-Rock's Redemption. They, those are kind of, like, yeah. big banger hits. But... um you know, it just feels, and the other thing is this, I, I think that a lot of rappers right now are trying really hard to fit a structure or really hard to break all structure and just be like screwball vo- vocals and, oh, yeah. I can sing and rap and switch around. I don't have to follow the rules. And that's fine. I actually am hundred percent fine with people trying to find the thing is, I just don't feel like it always lands. Like we're yeah. going to talk about a little later, but I feel like with someone like Baby Keem, I'll hear a song and go, whoa, that voice is, that voice hits. This song is really cool. And that, that is not a voice I would have ever guessed I would have liked on a song if you sent me the, uh, you know, acapella or whatever. And then I'll hear the next song and go, wait, what? That's the same guy? What's happening? And these guys, on the other hand, have found sort of these, um, these channels in between the two where they have these diff- very different flows and it feels like they're, they're creating something that you haven't heard already. It doesn't sound like a Biggie album or a Pac album or a Scarface album or whoever. It doesn't feel like some someone's already done it and they're doing their version. But it doesn't feel like a young thug wannabe kind of 
I'm yeah. gonna break all the rules. It, it it's like there's they they kind of have their own. They paint with their own strokes for lack of better for lack of less cliche way to describe it. But they find a way to do something that not everyone else is doing, especially now that people don't rap like this as much. Like I was talking about with Griselda. Griselda does Griselda's incredible, but they give you a feeling of like the New York rappers that came before them. It feels yeah. very much like that. These guys don't feel like Nate Dogg or um, Dr. Dre or Easy E or any of them. The only one that gets close is Absol. Kind of looks like Easy E. If you look at them together, they look kind of <laughs> similar and uh, have kind of similar voices and wear the hat with the black glasses, or the, the Raiders hat with the glasses and all that. But um, other than that these guys are really like, you know, carving their own way. And I think Kendrick Lamar is an incredible artist and he's obviously, you know, the vo- the voice of the generation and the, and the, the, the biggest like rapper rapper, like I consider him bigger than Cole as big as Drake, but Drake is a pop star, all that kind of stuff. To me, these guys like Kendrick, actually just Kendrick on a very high level, but these guys are very specific to themselves. Um, they're not, mm-hmm like very pop or like very just like breaking all the rules. And it's not like they're trying to find a middle ground. I think they just kind of figured out who they are as a rapper. They're just comfortable with that. And they're able to just do it their way. And everything they do is very specific to them, not like a particular style of rap or, or whatever. I feel like they could probably do any style that they wanted pretty well, but they just kind of do them. And I feel like if you buy into an artist like Rashad or, um, I forget his name. I, I love his shit too. Uh, the Redemption album. What's the dude's oh, name? Oh, J Rock. J Rock. Yeah. If you buy into Rashad and J Rock, like you're buying into them. You're not buying into like a certain style or a certain type of. You know, you're not buying into trap. Mm-hmm. You're not buying into this or that. You're buying into. I. This is a specific artist that I'm getting. Um, and I think that's kind of why that these artists kind of like fit in that wheelhouse with Kendrick because J rock and Kendrick have collaborated together many times, even when J rock was far more popular than Kendrick. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I feel like Kendrick is probably like the greatest artist of our generation, like in our age group mm-hmm. for sure. But there's a lot of people doing work like J rock. And I didn't need to check out that Rashad album. Cause I've only heard the singles. I like them. But you saying that definitely makes me think I need to go back. You know, these artists, you know, they are they are very skilled as well. Maybe just as talented as Kendrick. I I actually I'm glad you said ended on that because that was what I was about to say. Um, I honestly think there's something about Kendrick that's inexplicable that that puts him on the next tier up. And until they find that it's going to take a little while. And Kendrick had put out several albums before Good Kid Mad City or several projects. So it took him a while, too. But I genuinely believe and and we'll we'll stand by that um isaiah rashad j-rock and schoolboy q and to a lesser extent absol who i do think is incredible but gets a little too lost in his third eye so woke (laughs) everyone else is asleep nonsense that he loses me a little bit but um as far as creating an incredible piece of work i think History will be kind to the rest of the t- and SZA for her incredible music too. Um, they, she just doesn't do exactly the same thing as these guys, but she's an, yeah. she's an untouchable artist of the generation as well. I believe musically, um, yeah. I think history will be good to the rest of these guys because I I would put House of Burning uh, or excuse me, the House is Burning, uh, Redemption, 
an oxymoron above all but two Kendrick albums, maybe? I, I think those albums are just as incredible, like, or at the same caliber. Let's let's not rank rank, but like, I think they put out just as incredible pieces of work as Kendrick does. But Kendrick has that thing that you, the like, it's the same thing that happens to people in history. You know, you hear of like, you're like, oh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and then they're like, oh, but here's all these other civil rights activists who are all yeah super incredibly important. But what is it? MLK has something that is just different. And, um, and he's put it and you know, it doesn't even matter if someone's done more work, done less work, more impact, less impact. When you yeah. think of civil rights, you go MLK and other people, there's a lot of names, but on a very, very simplified level, MLK. And I think Kendrick has that same thing where you, it's the same thing as, uh, Dreamville and J Cole. I think a lot of the people on Dreamville are gonna, they don't have the albums quite the TVE does, but I think history will look good. They'll look good in history too. Eventually when people yeah. finally stop looking at it as Cole and friends and looks at them as their own people. Um, and e- maybe even more than like odd future, for example, cause I love all the odd future guys. You know, me, I've, I've been a big fan of Haji and Damo and uh, just every, every single person, but Haji has never put out something, a, a, a piece of work that competes with a Tyler album. It's just never yeah. really happened. Damo maybe has, but it would have to be Damo's best versus Tyler's worst as far as a project. Um, Whereas I think these guys very much, I would put a J-Rock album on my top list before putting, you know, a second or third Kendrick album and and be 100% comfortable with that. Or or maybe even put a, you know, put a J-Rock album on first because... I just think that they they do just as incredible work, but Kendrick has that that weird thing that you just can't capture. Um, and I, I was going to mention too because you mentioned that um, J Rock actually is the one that they say, they give credit to J Rock for bringing Kendrick to TDE. So we might not even have Kendrick the way that we do if it wasn't for uh, J Rock, which I think is yeah. pretty incredible that he's that he's then let watched him become so huge and just supported him like little bro the entire time. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think that Kendrick is the same if he doesn't get to come into TDE. And and I feel like they allow their artists to actually do exactly what they want. Um, and it it makes sense, everything you're saying, because all those band or all those artists are all under TD, uh, TDE and they kind of feel like that's like their that universe of rappers, just like there's the Dreamville universe or the odd future universe where like there's people you follow in each one. And it's some of them are very specific to that universe, but I feel like those three universes in particular, all those artists can kind of come together, but individually on their own, they're all their very own thing. They're all very different. Um, And before we uh, get too far away from it, I I, I do want to mention that the cool thing that about TDE, I know this isn't really the topic of discussion, but the cool thing about TDE is that even their their second tier sort of roster, their lesser famous people, um, they have yeah. Lance Skywalker, Sir Zakari, and who's probably one of my favorite rappers who's under who's younger than me, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. a guy named Reason. He's gonna be he's on the TDE. I mean, not, excuse me, TDE. He's on the Dreamville record, um, the Revenge of the Dreamers Volume Three. He's on there. He's done a lot mm-hmm. of really cool stuff. He's going to be a guy I think sneaks up and becomes like the next Isaiah Rashad, where Isaiah Rashad was like the 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 young guy on the team. 
Um, and and yeah. we had a bunch of heavy hitters with the Black Hippie group. And we had like Black Hippie, Isaiah Rashad. Now we have Black Hippie, Isaiah Rashad, SZA, and then it's going to be recent. And that's not including their R&B lineup, which is also untouchable. But that's we could just go off in a direction with that. And their and their production teams, their engineers. It's just they they really honed in incredible talent over there. Um, yeah. And I, I I'm only really kind of rambling because I realized it today. I thought it forever, but it hit me today while I was listening to uh, Troopers off of J Rock's um, Redemption, and there's just how incredible every single person that has a TDE attached to their name really is. Yeah, I I have to get into Reason. Um, I haven't listened to New Beginnings, but um, I do remember when that came out last year. I definitely bought my futures and early stock in Zakari after Dan. So oh, yeah. um, I'm. It, you know, he's only done the one EP, but um, I'm very excited about whatever he does next. So no, I'm, I definitely appreciate the tangent because they pretty much every release is very high quality. It's kind of like um, on a smaller scale, uh, Triple Crown Records. Just over the past couple of years, Triple Crown's just been putting out some of these incredible releases last couple of years here and but ted has been doing it at a super high level since like the last decade really decade plus uh they've been putting out some of the best albums yeah pretty much everything they put out has been fucking great yeah definitely you and anyone listening definitely spin new beginnings it's not perfect but it is a it is a good album like it's definitely a good album there's there's jid on there Isaiah Rashad, Absalom Schoolboy, if you want, you know, like the safe features, um, those songs yeah. are all great. And then, uh, but truthfully, like Reason's awesome. And I like Reason because he'll just throw out the sporadic single, like something you always like, is he'll just throw out the sporadic throwaway. And it, and the throwaways are, are a ton of fun. What's the one song? He just had one. I think it's called Might Not Make It. He's just screwing around and doing like the sort of like um, that, you know, that Biggie song where he talks about sleeping with all the female famous females. And then Nikki did the reverse of it, talking about yeah. sleeping all the famous dudes. It's kind of like one of those yeah. songs where he's just like he says, like, uh, if I was uh, if I had 24 hours left, um, this is the stuff I do. But he gets to the point where he says something like. I would uh, go back in time and turn West into the old Kanye or something like that or. He says, uh, you know, he makes jokes about if I only had 24 hours left, I'd be harassing the youth, kidnap, kidnap Trump and ghost ride him, let him crash in the coop. Just like crazy over the top. Like, yeah, he, this guy's clearly not serious, but, you know, just having fun music <laughs> and uh, like or he says, break Takashi out of prison and drop him in the nine trays. If you know who <laughs> Takashi is, you know, or you know, everyone knows who six nine is. They have to know who six nine is. And he's, that's the, that's the gang that he put behind bars. And so it's oh, just like okay. goofy stuff like that. Like he just, um, you know, or, and there's references to like the revenge of the dreamers song that he did with cause. And yeah. I, you know, I just think, I just think it's like, he, they do a lot of fun stuff over there. And I actually, since you mentioned triple crown, I was just going to say, if you look, you see the Triple Crown is a New York-based label from 97. And yep. I don't know about you, but my brain just sees those words together and goes, oh, so something's good on there. <laughs> like, so, There's going to be something good to listen to, um, but they're pretty incredible. All right. One of the last things that we came up with for the newsletter was Mad Jams. And uh, basically what Mad <laughs> Jams is, is where music is money and we tell you to buy or sell. 
So basically, I bring up a subject to Jake, and he tells me he's going to buy, sell, or hold his position with his uh, stock in this particular artist. And we just kind of cook after that and just see what happens. So the first one here, I'm going to give you some context before uh, I let you cook, Jake. Nicki Minaj's COVID-19 vaccine testicular swelling or swelling fiasco. Is it time to dump your futures on Nicki Minaj? So some context. Today, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that there's no evidence that it happens in, re- in referencing uh, swelling of the testes, nor is there any uh, mechanistic reason to imagine that it would even happen. At another press conference today, Trinidad and Tobago's Ministry of Health said that the official spent Tuesday, today's Wednesday as of this recording, into Minaj's claim and, quote, wasted so much time yesterday running down this false claim. Uh, some more context in, in regards to your stock there, Jake. Uh, Minaj's husband, Kenneth Petty, recently pled guilty for failing to register as a sex offender in California. Petty is uh, on the state of New York sex offender registry due to conviction of first-degree attempted rape in New York in 1995. He was 16 years old at the time of the crime and served time in prison for the offense. He and his boo also recently sued the state of New York <laughs> to remove him from said registry. Uh, the two also were recently sued by that woman who said Petty attempted to assault her in 1995. Is it time to dump your futures in uh, Minaj there? So before I answer that question, the one thing I did want to say in case listeners missed the very beginning of this story, that uh, the thing that we just didn't mention is that Nicki Minaj tweeted, um, I want to say about a week ago, maybe a little less, that she heard from her cousin's friend in Trinidad and Tobago, where she's from, um, that that friend took the the vaccine for COVID. Don't know which one. Don't have any details, of course, because, you know, of course, we don't have any actual information. But um, and he had testicular swelling so bad that he became infertile and it ended his relationship with his fiance. So that's what she tweeted. Just uh, I heard it from a someone who heard it from a someone, right? To answer your question about is it time to dump the futures on Minaj's career, can you go further than the zero I was already at? <laughs> because <laughs> I, I dumped this stock. I'll be honest. I started dumping stock a very long time ago when she started getting in spats with certain people on Twitter when she was very wrong. And yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a couple moments where she was – incorrectly put in that position but for the most part if she's in a in a back and forth with someone online she's probably incorrect and uh you know i don't know i don't have any good examples at the moment i remember there was issues with miley cyrus and thinking yeah that's right Nikki, you're making miley look good you might want to like and i love miley cyrus for the record but come on now like if nikki was making Miley look good in the moment then you got to reassess what you're doing um especially because it was back when miley was kind of on one but um i dumped every single ounce uh i dumped no i dumped about 25 percent after the last album because it was just a train wreck in my opinion there was a couple of interesting moments but it was a train wreck and then when she married kenneth petty it was over i don't know if it's even fair to mention but i'm gonna go ahead and do it anyway because it, it really fits the topic of everything her brother also is in prison right now for for molesting or or you know whatever the correct terminology is i don't know the details of a small child as well and she spent 
you know, hundreds of thousands of, from speculation, hundreds of thousands defending him for doing that as well. So she and she in between that and her marrying Richard Petty, which what a uh, or excuse me, Kenneth Petty. Whew, I was about to say what an unfortunate name. <laughs> Kenneth Petty. Um, uh, between those two things, she made a bunch of music with Takashi Six Nine. And I like Six Nights music a little bit. I enjoy it in the same way I enjoy like um, a Doritos Locos Taco. Like, yeah, you know you're gonna you're gonna regret putting this in your system right now, but you're having a good time. Two o'clock yeah, yeah. in the morning, you're drunk. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, so I I think just marrying, um, you know, a sex offender who has very much done what he's what he's accused of he's he's convicted not accused working with Takashi 69 with both his all of his abuse allegations his underage allegation i mean not underage allegations underage sex act conviction um and then also the the just his personal her his public persona and all the problems that he's caused and people who've been shot or hurt or like she does not care about anyone but herself and that would be, you know, we've watched other people do stuff like that and get away with it because they give us something in return, even if it, at the end of the day, it succeeds for them. Yeah. You know, there's been tons of egomaniac, terrible people who also give us a classic album. And so we go, where's the balance with this person? But Nicki Minaj hasn't given me, given me, you know, yeah. anything, anything in a long time that makes me go, is it worth all this other stuff? Sell if you even still have it, sell it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's an interesting career arc because in college, we actually talked about I, – I did a minor in um, music technology. We talked about Pink Friday because it was made on – for a pop album, a very small budget. So mm-hmm. the person that produced it was also the engineer and did everything, mm-hmm. wrote a lot of the music. Uh, so like her first album is incredibly impressive considering you know the situation. Pink print was pretty successful from what I recall. I just personally was never really a fan, but I felt like, okay, she did Pink Friday, which I respect a lot, like on a production level. I really mm-hmm. do. I think it sounds incredible for the kind of budget it was on. I think she took a huge, huge step up when she worked with guys like Kanye and Drake and some of the biggest artists in the world at the time, right? The Pink print, I thought, not for me, but I thought it did really well at the time. I did not ever listen to Queen, but I do not recall it doing very well. I was looking up what was the aggregate score. It kind of seemed all over the place for both the Pink Print and Queen. To be honest, like as an, even as an outsider, I mean, Queen was a huge step down for her. It I feel like public perception, or at least the perception I have of it, was it was a it was a big bomb. Um, and it feels like she's never really bounced back since then you're right on that and i was actually going to mention um especially because you mentioned working with drake and kanye um she she when her first album came out she wasn't really an unknown anymore because she had been discovered by um young money and lil wayne and drake and she was already teamed up with them by the time the album came out she'd had a couple of incredibly popular features and things like that um and that's really what's what brought her from doing you know street side freestyles if if you know her real early career she was doing these these freestyle videos and stuff um before people were just before ig and all that like um and and working with them was what exploded her but it's actually 
I, I was cutting you off because you mentioned her career trajectory, and that's what I forgot to mention. You and I have been talking about her for, like you said, since since probably before college, so probably at the end of high school. And um, definitely at the time, at the time, I, I feel like your opinion hasn't changed a whole lot over those ten years. But no. I was, I used to be like a. I started out like, nope, this is terrible, and then heard some bars oh. and thought, wow, this person's really pretty solid. And I was behind her for the first two albums, but by the time Queen came around, um, no, it it it, it all kind of dwindled, and especially because she had used a big part of like, you know how all promotion today is just causing a bunch of drama about something, you know, yeah. a sample not clearing or somebody saying something like I was supposed to be on that album or whatever. And that's like this low key marketing situation. And basically she couldn't get a sample cleared. And so she went on this like public, like this thing on Twitter where she's like, please to the artist that has the sample, clear the sample for me. And then the song didn't clear. And then it leaked <laughs> because of course it leaked. Yeah. Um, shout out funk master flex for leaking it. And uh, she got sued. And that was like the biggest thing to happen because of that album. I don't remember anything else from that era other than her getting sued for a song that didn't actually even come out only for, I believe it was Tracy Chapman to end up losing the lawsuit. You're right. We definitely, she's been in our lives since we met in high school being on dark fantasy was a huge moment for her. Cause I love that song that she's on. I believe it's monster. And I mean, that's a killer track, but I mean, tracks like that really bumped her up quickly. Um, then became scarce quickly. <laughs> yeah. And then became scarce quickly. If you're in that camp of I've already sold it years ago and people are still holding on, I probably would go the other way and be like, all right, let me get it while it's cheap. You know, maybe there's a, there's the comeback <laughs> part mm-hmm. of her career. Um, but I mean, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of meat left on that bone. Um, I don't, I haven't really seen her really even, you can probably better answer this to me. I feel like I haven't seen her as a featured artist in a while anywhere. She retired quote unquote for a year. Um, and, and she's, I think she had a kid and she's uh, pregnant again, if I'm not mistaken. So that's, that's, they say that's a big reason as to why you haven't heard from her now have other artists been pregnant and pumped out music at the same time. Of course, <laughs> but that's what they say that she kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to take a break. And I think really, but you know, I say between me and you and all the listeners, I really think it just comes down to um, she had a tour that they canceled under the guise of having to reschedule for some nonsense reason when really it was low ticket sales. She had an album that didn't do very well. Yeah, I think, I think the truth is, I think you're right. I don't know that there's time for her to come back and and I'll say it's for a couple reasons that I agree with and a couple reasons I don't really necessarily. Um, and I'll say this first and foremost, as progressive as fans are now and as like woke as people are, um, she's a rapper in her thirties and she's a female, which makes it even harder, but she's a rapper in her thirties. It's hard to come back from a dip in your thirties. Even Eminem who has been putting out some of his technically best music in a long time like as far as like just like technical skill and all that kind of stuff people are just aren't interested because we've seen it we've heard it we know you and we and once you don't give us that same like boom that you gave us the the as many times as you had in the past we move on and i think that's you know maybe that's wrong maybe that's right you you can only hold the spotlight for so long but it does make it harder that she's older 
Um, yeah. And a female and, and is doing both. Now, is she old? No, she's super no. young. But as far as the industry goes, we're watching, you know, the charts are dominated by kids for the most part, 18, 19, 20 year olds. Um, except I think right now it's Drake. But for the most part, it's been like Olivia Rodrigo or whoever. And so I think, or Lozy Vert, who's four or five years younger than me or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think there's that, which isn't necessarily fair, but just kind of is what is. But then she decides to do everything she can to poison her own well. She marries a sex offender. She publicly defends her sex, her rapist brother. She hangs out with sex offender Takashi 6 9 She puts <laughs> out only so good music. She does all these things. I don't think she wants to come back. I think she's comfortable mm. where she's at. She's got her barbs and, you know, barbs are notably one of the most toxic fan bases on the internet and um, they don't go anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So I think she has those fans and they're going to enjoy her IG lives for the rest of her career. And she'll probably put another album out. Don't get me wrong, but she'll never be number one again, in my personal opinion, unless she pumps out something we're not expecting. And I think she's had enough years to show us, if she was going to do something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, people have, people have come back sec- two and three times. Jay-Z has notably crashed his career musically twice and come back um, once being a retirement and once being what's, you know, being that red uh, cover album that people call his worst. They thought he was done multiple times and he put out 444 and shook everything up. Um, so you never know. But I'm thinking yeah. we might be on the end of the uh, the Nicki Minaj hype train. <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, she's had, as for an artist who's been around as long as she's had, she's only had to put out, like, three albums. And still yeah, know, right? held it down. Like, and her features are cool, but there's less and less just because I think she's becoming toxic to have as a feature. Is it worth yeah. working with her? to get whatever fandom you might get behind her. And then do you want the barbs behind you at this point in time? You may have back when they were a large rabid fan base, but now do you really want the barbs behind you? I don't know. It seems like a sketchy fan base to have behind you. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you want. All right. I got two more for you. Lil Nas X Montero dropping Friday. Um, my question is, is it time to sell high? And here's why. So I'm not as familiar with his world or the hip hop world as you are. So I'm relying on you. But I personally thought that Old Town Road was going to be his peak and he was one hit wonder. And that's it. It's clearly proven me wrong. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I expect Montero to be incredibly successful and do really, really well. Um but that does lead me to think, is this maybe his peak and maybe he goes to a plateau and he might stay at a high level for a long time. But might this be his peak or is the best still yet to come, which would be incredibly. Uh, it's a different conversation for another day, if that's the case. So this one, I actually think is um, I think this one is probably. The trickiest, because I. I think everyone thought that I think aside from, you know, the TikTok generation, a bunch of anyone who's graduating high school this year or younger, everyone else thought, well, this weird little 
country rap goofy nine inch nails sampling song is is awesome but well no one really thought about the sample but i'd throw it in there um no uh everyone thought this is fun this is cool it hits it's fun for the kids the kids enjoy it even though the lyrics aren't really for kids so which is a whole other topic to talk about um but (laughs) i think the weird thing is no matter what he does with a caveat um it seems to work and so i don't know if it's worth jumping off the ship yet i actually am not Mm. positive i wouldn't what I want to see is I w- what I would do is if if this was some sort of like if there's real stock to it I would um, I'd probably wait until Saturday morning I'd wait to see what happens on Friday because there's yeah. I see two things happening I see it doing pretty well like pretty stinking well like a pop album would like like yeah. wow this is pretty great everyone's like this and that whatever three or four songs chart it's great I don't know if he can hold down an entire project. But the problem with that is the generation who's buying his music is also yeah. not holding down an album. They're not, they don't care about like a front to back album like that. They don't need a, a running theme or, or like they, they just want a bunch of bangers, a bunch of songs, you know, and, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing. I'm sure there's people who would love it if, if the album like sure. had skits and, and, a, and an intro and outro and, and felt like a front to back story or something. But for the most part, I'm sure that the Lil Nas X people, they just want, they want another Call Me By Your Name fun song, and they want another, you know, just, just uh, old time, or they want bangers. Um, I don't, I don't know if he needs to hold down an album. And so my caveat earlier was that I have noticed he's been doing this weird, like, Twitter thing where he's, like, pregnant right now. I don't know what the joke is or what that's connected to or what that's supposed to be i think technically it's like oh i'm giving birth to the album on friday like basically is the joke but yeah this is the first marketing thing where i see like the same 25 accounts are like you're a genius we stand little nas and then everyone else is like what even is happening like what is this supposed to be and um so i wonder if i wonder i i think it's hard to tell beforehand if you want to sell before the album drops i think you'd have to see the album drop yeah. Because either three or four songs is going to chart, it's going to be great, and then everyone's going to be like, well, he's fun to watch on TikTok or whatever, but you know, six of these songs I'll never listen to again or whatever. That's that's enough to derail this sort of extended one-hit wonder potential. Yeah. If the whole album charts like the Drake album does, no, definitely don't sell. Definitely wait for the second album because I think if yeah. the whole thing does really well, I don't know, it's a tough one. My My, my thought is... I would probably, I probably would sell out of safety, but yeah, here's my final line. I would sell out of safety, but I would not be surprised when I missed out on more profit. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take your advice and let, let me see what happens through Saturday and maybe decide by day's opening on Monday what I'm going to do with it. I want to point out something out about this album real quick. And, and then I want to swing back to, Drake real quick before we move on to our last uh, uh, Mad Jam. So I hadn't really looked at the album tracking list yet, and mm-hmm. it's only 42 minutes long and it's 15 tracks. So that's a good thing to me because one, uh, Drake's uh, Certified Lover Boy and Donda, they were going for they were going for the streams, right? You know, 20 plus tracks. Mm-hmm. I, I can't fucking stand that stuff. So I'd uh, say just to cut you off, I'd say Drake definitely was, from what I understand, the Kanye album. Yeah, wasn't right. finished, but I think right. the label did that. So you know, 
I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking, but I do think, I think Drake definitely did it. Anyway, you were saying. You're right. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, Drake, it's very intentional. I don't think Kanye gives a shit about that stuff. <laughs> exactly. I think he just does what he does. But yep. um, what I like is here, okay, there's not 20 plus tracks. It's not super long. Okay, that's nice. Um, you have some really great features on here. There's the Jack Harlow one, Industry Baby, which I think is where that maybe that meme is uh, coming from as well. But honestly, I, I just chalk it up to I'm 30 now. And if I was that age, I'd probably be like, this is the fucking best. You know, like we did in 2010 right. when it's we were so clever up. and edgy and funny. Yeah. We thought we were so fucking edgy and like now, you know, they're fucking edgy. We're not. It's probably playing on like the whole I mean, like in agreement with it's probably playing on the whole like gender identity being such a high, high a hot topic right now. And yeah, and all that kind of stuff, too. Like he's he's openly gay and is constantly trolling people who don't, you know, don't approve. He doesn't care what those people think. So it's probably something along those lines. Yeah. Kind of bucking stereotypes just because that's what he does. But um, yeah. And there's there's some other great features on here. There's going to be a Doja Cat, Elton John, Megan Thee Stallion, Miley Cyrus. There's a bunch. I think the other thing, too, when I saw the album cover, and I mean this in the most positive way possible, this is the <laughs> gayest album cover I've ever seen. And it's kind of glorious. It's as edgy and as ballsy as a Cannibal Corpse record cover. The punk side of me just fucking loves it. It's a big middle finger, obviously, to anyone who's opposed to people's personal choices i just love it i also am very excited just to see the response too because i know we've had a lot of gay artists you know come out or put out right you know put out music but right. it wasn't as socially acceptable as it is i mean today they don't track this stuff anymore i think most of the united states and most people around the world are <laughs> are are open you know to people's right. personal choices in this kind of matter but I would love to see someone that's coming, you know, from the jump, someone who's openly gay. And I would love to see it just do insane numbers. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm going to wait and see what happens Monday and see what the vibes are. But if we're in 2020, you know, in February, still talking about Montero, then you're you're going to want to hold on to that for a long time. I think he's fantastic. And, I, and like you said, my punk rock side loves when he just screws with everybody because – I know he's trying to be on the right side. He's he's doing it to to defend people. He's not he's not trolling to piss people off or to be a, no. a tool. He he's he's over here going, oh, you got a problem with being gay? Well, what if I'm super gay in your face? Like, and you're like, not a gimmick. It is not okay, a gimmick. Cool. <laughs> it is like it's like I said. It's I think as in your face as a Cannibal Corpse record cover would be, where what their stuff is so gory this is just this is, i mean yeah it, it's i think it's badass honestly yeah uh, i agree and yeah. it looks like it reminds me of um like lisa frank or who like the crazy early 2000s rainbow marker colorful yeah. nonsense that was really popular when we were about yeah i want to say right about when you got to the states was right about when it was super popular um yep and so yeah it was it's just like a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I, I think it's, I think I saw it at first and I was like, nah, cool. And then I, I just didn't hit me initially as like how sort of like, holy crap, look at this yeah. cover. Yeah. We're excited. We're excited about it. Um, I'm same camp as you. I'm, I hope the best happens for him. And uh, I'm really excited to see the response. 
just as a music fan. I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right. I want to wrap up with one more thing, man. Baby Keem, new album. The responses, I think, have been all over the place. Um, just from my perspective, I feel like there was a lot of anticipation for it. And I really haven't seen too much of a center on it. It's the stands really love it or people are really disappointed and and really pointed out some weaknesses. Give me what you you know, what your take is on it and kind of like what's Baby Keem's position as a value right now. Okay, I so for those who don't know, Baby Keem is Kendrick Lamar's cousin. They made it. They've made music together for a little while, but um, that's why Kendrick's all over the album. That's why it's attached to a lot of big names and PG Wang and all of that. And um, and that in and of itself is a good foundation to start on. But I actually have to say, I haven't seen anyone who's very disappointed with the album. I've seen people who are like, "Meh, it's cool. So I like some songs." And I've seen a lot of love for it. And what I've noticed is. I think Baby Keem, this album is probably the closest thing to a bridge between like the Lils and the the, the yippy auto-tuned voices that the older generations don't quite understand. Um, and the stuff that we listen to being connected to Kendrick. I think it's more for an R&B fan than it is for like a rap rap fan. If you're coming in here for the bars, there's a lot of goofy stuff and not a lot of serious. There's not a lot, a lot of like rapidy rap, which... Um, you know me, I I love rapidy rap, but knowing that going in, I think the album is pretty interesting. I I've only heard I've heard about 80 percent of it. I don't know that I've heard every track. Um, I feel like I may have, but I, you know, I can't guarantee that. I think it's a pretty interesting piece of work. I think it's a very much a moment in time piece of work, but it's also I, I feel like there's more time taken in crafting it. You can tell that there's a lot more, the the edges are smoother and more rounded and the pieces are put together well. And, and um, there's a lot of concepts and things going on. I don't know. It's a very strange piece because sometimes I hear his voice and I go, what is this? And then I'll hear the exact same song the, the, the next day and go, okay, okay. I, I get it now. And then the next day be like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't get this. And so I think it's just a new, it's the new wave in trying to get adjusted to it. Um, I think before I get too far in like my own sort of circle of analysis, um, I think Bob, I think he's going to be around. I think whatever faults people do find in this album, he'll probably, if anything, you'll have the team behind him to correct those faults for the next album. I think this album is good. I think it's worth a listen, even if you don't necessarily like a single. Um, and also, if I remember correctly, you liked, um, you, Sebastian, liked the single with Kendrick, and I did not on the first go, um, because I just, I don't know. It's this weird thing that, that Kendrick does where he does these repetitive lyrics. A lot of TDE guys do it. You noticed on earlier projects, and um, I don't know. I think that... Uh, this is an artist to buy into because this is what the future is going to sound like. Like you always hear the, like you see spoof futuristic music or TV shows in like a movie or something where they're like over the top kind of goofy, uh, lack of structure, kind of craziness with whatever yeah. it might be. And this is kind of reality of it. This that is kind of where we're headed with. We've got to always develop further, always create something weirder and stranger and and oh i've heard that before something crazy and we're getting to a point where people enjoy weird before they enjoy good 
And yeah. um, I think that being said, of anybody out there riding the line between what's weirder than everything that is being done and what's still good, it's Baby King. I think he's riding that line really well. And I do think it's like the people he works with to keep him grounded a little bit, like Travis Scott, Kendrick Lamar. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other features from the album. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. This is a long, not straight. Holy crap, he was born in 2000. Um, this is not a straightforward answer, but <laughs> I do think he's someone to buy. I think the answer is buy. I think this album just shows us he's going to be here for a while. And I've actually not seen anyone too negative on the album. I've only seen, I don't know, it's all right. And yeah, I love this album. And and the thing the thing is, I think it's because this is a this is an album that's going to take time to grow on people. Uh, I, I think maybe the young kids will hear whatever it is that we're going to hear later, like right off the rip, because they, they know you know that, that it, it speaks to them the guy's 21 years old if he's even 21 yet um it speaks to them uh first but i do think three four listens and just about anybody with a actual like you know nine out of ten people who are really willing to give it a shot three times by the third listen will like it or will love it one of the two mm. i don't think anybody's gonna listen to it three times by the third time go this is just terrible i think it's i think it's interesting some of the and the thing is, I think what they're doing is kind of why I liked the song "Worst Behavior" by Drake off of Nothing Was the Same, and it's it's that they play with structure. It doesn't seem like Baby Keem really cares about verse, chorus, no. verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, outro. He wants to do what he wants to do, and you just kind of have to go with him. And that's what I, that's the thing I do appreciate appreciate about the album. I appreciated it right off the bat was that no matter what he was doing, he's just like, just just listen. Just follow me. It, it's almost like Willy Wonka pulling you through the charter factory. You just got to do what he tells you to do, and it'll work. Or you don't, and it doesn't. But but um, I, think, I, I, think it's, I think it's time to buy on Baby Keem. Will the second album hit as hard as the first? It's definitely a toss-up. We've had artists like this come out of what feels like the woodwork, you know, Kendrick's cousin, so he's not really from the boonies, but we've, yeah. we've had artists what feels like come out of the woodwork, come come give us something incredible, and then everyone buys in, and then they just do nothing ever again. And I don't think Baby Keem is that guy. I bought some stock when uh, Die For My Bitch came out. I actually didn't even know <laughs> back then that he was really the Kendrick. I just saw I honestly could not for the life of me remember where the hell I saw it on what social media app. I think it was someone I follow who I really like their taste, but they were just it might have been page for music chads. It might have been that one, mm-hmm. but just constantly posting songs from it. I'm like, what is this? Oh, and then I listened sodas to it. on that one, right? Yeah. Orange sodas on that one. That's kind of how I was introduced to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was like, this guy is just kind of like. And it was very jarring the first time. It's still very jarring, actually. But, like, nothing is, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus with him. It's it's all very just – it can be borderline avant-garde sometimes where he's just really just doing rant. It, like, it doesn't sound like there's anything linear about it. Um, but I thought that Die From a Bitch was just really crazy. And um, it was definitely different from anything else I'd heard that year. Um, with this one – I kind of it's kind of like when we watched Pig together. I mm-hmm. liked it the first time, 
but I kind of need to hear it again. I don't, right, right. Like I want to rewatch it because it was just. Yeah, for those of you that know, don't know, me and Jake watched oh. Pig together, and we thought it was incredible. Like it so might have been the best uh, Nick Cage performance since Con Air, um, or National Treasure, whichever Nick Cage movie you love the most. It's it's one of his best, actually. Uh, oh, definitely and that movie, top five. Definitely top five. It's it kind of is. Yeah, it actually is. It it's it's actually his most artsy kind of film he's ever made. Um, but in I relation, think it's the best he's done as an as an actor, like really. There was a movie in 2016 called Joe that was pretty good, but as far as an actor, it's the best thing he's done since leaving Las Vegas, in my opinion. Mm. Like just as an actor, uh, the structure of the movie you may enjoy, National Treasure or something, you know, a little yeah, lighter, yeah. more. But right. you just there's no like Nick Cage moment that doesn't happen, and so that I think that's that I remember. Oh, except no. I'll say there's, that there's the one kind of there's one. The one there's kind of where one. he steals someone's bike and they someone walks ah! up to the house. And says, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and walking, which, but that like, was kind of Nick Cage. <laughs> it was Nick Cage, but I think it was definitely like real to the character. And I think right. with Baby Keem, I think with him, it's it kind of reminds me a lot of that. It could be very jarring, but it's definitely its own thing and. If I can get some more stock on the cheap, I'll, I'll take it. You know, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but just looking at the reviews, it just, it's all over the place. You know, classic Pitchfork, they give them a 6.4. Uh, but then you have NME and they give them a 4 out of 5. So there's not I much. I over Pitchfork, too. NME over Pitchfork, always. 